Welcome back, podcast friends, to I Am Healthy and Fit. I Am Healthy and Fit is the affirmation that begins changing your health and fitness from the inside out. I'm Steve Jordan, your health and fitness coach. Welcome back, everybody, to the I Am Healthy and Fit podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here with me today. I've got a great episode, uh, a different episode than we typically have. Usually we have health and fitness experts. Uh, but today we have the daughter of a woman who had a extraordinary career in the surfing world. Um, her mother, Betty Durant, is considered one of the pioneers of women's surfing. Uh, Vicky, who I interview on this podcast, wrote a book called Wave Woman, which is a, a charming and intimate story and biography about her mom and her mom's impact in the surfing world and just in the, in, in the world in general. She's a legacy in uh, Hawaii and among women surfers. Uh, so I think this is a really awesome podcast that's going to inspire and motivate you and uh, just brighten up your day because she has a, a wonderful spirit that is contagious and you'll feel it through this interview. So enjoy this episode and learn about the wave woman. Welcome Vicki to the I am healthy and fit podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. I actually, I should say aloha. You're uh, living in the beautiful state of Hawaii. I am Steve. Well, thank you for having me on the show and letting me have the privilege of sharing my mother's story. Well, it's a privilege of, of all mine, to be honest, because uh, when I, I'd heard about your book, um, it resonated with me for so many reasons. One, I'm a surfer, uh, and I know how challenging and difficult it is, even as a male. Um, and you've written this book, um, is almost a memoir to your mother, who, uh, you know, in the 1950s became a a championship surfer at the ripe age of 40 or somewhere there around. And uh, gosh, I mean, your mother was a Renaissance woman before a Renaissance woman was even a, even a, a possibility. And, you know, today there's, you know, the, the we movement and so much emphasis on, you know, women empowerment and women having their, their space in the society in a much bigger way. And it's just, it just resonated with me and, and that level and, uh, just it, it just felt good, so I'm really excited to find out yeah. more about it. So uh, first, let's yeah. find let's yeah. find out a little bit more about who you are and you know how you came to and want to write this book for your mom. What was it like growing up with someone like your mom? It was just the best. She was uh, the the most wonderful mother, and I I was a rather difficult child. I was very independent. Um, and I think any other mother would have been a sheer disaster for me and for her. And so the more I thought about it and over the years that I've been re doing the research and writing, I have gained even more um, gratefulness than, than I had growing up. Um, mm. It was just so wonderful to, to have a mother that was almost like a sister. and. To be able to surf together, and and it was it was the best, absolutely the best, and I am just very grateful. Well, for her. super cool. I mean, the 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 book is titled Wave Woman: The Life and Struggles of a Surfing Pioneer. Um, you know, there there must have been so many challenges and struggles uh, for her getting into this field. Let's first start with why and how she got into this well she actually didn't start surfing until she was 41 mm. uh it's it's a it's a rather circuitous story of how she how she did that because her sister had moved to hawaii in the 30s and married a, a man who was the superintendent of the leper colony on uh, Molokai, Kalapapa. Mm. And they had come to visit us when we lived in Chino, California, up near the Pomona. It was almost into Pomona. And they had, were childless. 
and they took a liking to me who I was about 10 and a half and they said when you're 12 you must come to Hawaii and visit spend the summer with us so when I was 12 my mother put me on a plane and I flew over here on the Pan American 10 hours uh, and spent the summer with them and fell in love with Hawaii and I was so enamored with it. When I got back to Chino at the end of the summer, I just laid around and moped and probably cried. And my mother just had never seen me like that before. And she um, said, you miss Hawaii, don't you? And I said, yes. And so she said, okay, I think I better go and find out what it is that has made you like this. And so the following summer, she and my sister came over and through my aunt and uncle's circle of friends, they ended up uh, getting a house where, where some friends wanted a sitter for their dog while they took a trip to California. So she ended up getting the house and then they sent for me and we started going to Waikiki. And after a canoe ride at, uh, at Waikiki, she saw the people surfing on each side of us. So she told the beach boy, Charlie Amalu, that she had looked, been told to look up, that she wanted a surf lesson. So we all went out and had a lesson. And my sister knew, caught a wave, and I caught a wave and fell off and hit my leg. But my mother caught a wave. She was the last of the three of us. and. I just remember the look on her face. She was just, that was it for her. And she decided that was her sport. And so for the rest of the summer, we ended up going to Waikiki and surfing. And and so then she just decided that, she said, do you want to move over here? And of course we all said yes. And so she said, all right, we'll be on the plane the day after Christmas. Uh, that was the day after Christmas of 1954. Mm. Uh, my parents, my father was back in Chino and they were had a uh, jewelry business. They were goldsmiths and they had a big Christmas business. That was why she said, okay, the day after Christmas. So the day after Christmas came and we moved over and left my father to sell the house, pack up all the equipment. And he eventually came over sort of kicking and screaming, but he came and um, so that was the beginning of the surfing for her and for me. My sister I, didn't take to it. <laughs> no, I, well, you know, I can, for there's a couple of things I can relate to here. First, I'm gonna just highlight the first wave you catch. The first wave you catch, if you're a surfer listening to this, everybody remembers that first wave. I remember the first wave that I caught. It was in October of probably 1992. Um, that was really a wave that I caught. I had started surfing when I was 14, 15 years old after bodyboarding for quite a while, even competing a little bit in, in bodyboarding. And, and then uh, the first wave I caught was during a hurricane uh, in October in Matasquan Inlet in New Jersey, which is a, a world-renowned surf spot. And I caught a wave that probably lasted more than 20 seconds. And when you're on a wave for more than 20 <laughs> seconds, especially in the East Coast, you are stoked. Yeah. I was like, this is amazing. You know, like I just like, yeah. it just was, uh, man, it, the stoke on it was just in incredible. So I'll never, ever forget yeah. that. I mean, the waves that I caught prior to that were like, yeah, I'm up for five seconds and down. Yeah, I'm up for five seconds and down. But this was truly the first wave, and I I I I look at that. Second is moving. I'm from New Jersey, as I just alluded to, saying there. I surfed in in New Jersey was some of the first areas, but I moved to California 18 years ago, and it was a huge endeavor. I mean, just like Hawaii, you know, moving from the mainland to the island and moving from the East Coast to the West Coast, especially during a time when East Coast, West Coast vibes were not necessarily always so, were always so pleasant. Um, but it was a much, it's a big decision to make, you know, in, in someone's life, especially if you're a woman and 
you know, you have a career, like your parents had, you're goldsmiths and, or, or, you know, they, they were jewelry makers and they wanted to, you know, create a better life and quality of life for you guys. Um, but how exciting as well. Um, right. So I can right. imagine how, you know, you all must have felt. But you and I were talking just a little bit prior to the, to the recording about, you know, moving to Hawaii. And, and I've said that I've, I've been wanting to and I've often thought about it. But there are these, you know, hidden and unknown challenges that are sometimes uh, faced with people, especially moving from the mainland, you know, white, the white man, the white woman, um, you know, howlies, as they like to call it in Hawaii. So uh, what were right. some of those challenges that you faced that uh, you weren't expecting and anticipating? And what did they do for you as, as a person and for your character? Well, actually, when um, in the surfing world in the mid-50s, I never felt any uh, discrimination. Mm. I felt it a little bit at school. And in fact, coming to, to school over here, I had been in high school in Chino in ninth grade, halfway through ninth grade. And when I came to Hawaii, my uncle said, you told my parents they had to put us at Punahou, which is the private, the old private school that the missionaries founded with very high standards. And I had to go back to eighth grade from high school. And it was a very unpleasant situation because they then put me in with the smartest, highest IQ kids. And and they'd all been together since kindergarten and, and mostly white. There were, we had Hawaiians and a few Japanese, but there was just a lot of outsider prejudice at school. They, mm-hmm. you know, none of the girls were friendly and I felt like I was a year older. So I felt like they were all sort of babies. So that's one of the reasons I took up surfing as uh an escape and an outlet. And so when I was every day, I just, as soon as the bell rang, I was on the bus back home to Waikiki and down to the beach where I kept my surfboard in a locker and out in the water. And it was, it, there was no discrimination. I didn't feel any discrimination. In fact, mm-hmm. Hawaiians were very friendly and the locals were very friendly. And Several years later, when we, after we, just after mother went out to visit a man that she had met, a Chinese Hawaiian detective who said, you have to come out to Makaha where, and see my new house that I built and check out the waves out there. Makaha is a much bigger, stronger break and very, very local, um, but, and later on got pretty fierce for local versus non-local still is a little bit but not so much as maybe 20 years ago but there was never any discrimination um never felt any anyway Mm. but everybody surfed there were plenty of waves and i think that was the key it wasn't um you know a a shortage of waves like there are Mm. today with so many people but only surfing was just they'd been surfing in the 20s 30s 40s but actually it had died out for almost 100 years in the hawaiian culture and uh, we were right at the renaissance where there were only like 2,000 people surfing on all of oahu if that and my mother was so insightful she told me she said you know Vicki this is going to be really big the sport is going to be big and you you should take notes because someday you're going to want to write about this she told me Mm. that in 1957. Do you think that she planted a seed there that you know you you probably Uh, stored in your subconscious? Maybe, maybe, but uh, it got drowned out <laughs> with life for the <laughs> right? next uh-huh. 50 years. And uh, so I'd always sort of thought I'd write, but that was never, uh, the writing was actually a big, 
a big struggle because I was uh, a clothing and textiles major and then a teacher, a high school teacher. Uh, so writing was was a writing the book was a struggle, but I think the way she planted the seed was that you know you just she believed that anything that she could do whatever she wanted to like she had no uh mental barriers of what she couldn't do she she just believed any whatever she wanted to do was possible and i think mm. maybe that seed got planted because mm. i did not know what i was doing when i started this book and and it's taken a whole village to get it to get it yeah. To where it is now and I'm so grateful for everybody that helped me but well yeah, I can she... appreciate that as well because I've been writing a book for the past four years and I am healthy and fit <laughs> is is the title of the book um, that I started to write and I got into the podcast world about two years ago because it was easier than writing the book I actually finished it gave it to my book agent he like basically threw it back at me and said, you got to rewrite this. This is pretty much terrible. And I just lost my mojo. I, you know, it was like, I just couldn't, yeah. you know, it's, it's really hard. And for you to write a book about somebody else and, you know, I know it's your mom and, and your family, but it's still a very big challenge for anybody who writes a book. I have so much respect for them. Yeah. Because it was turning her from my mother and my role model into a true character. Mm. How did you do that? That, that was that. Uh, with a lot of practice and a mm -hmm. really great editor and helper. And just over and over and over again, I hate to say it, but I think I killed hundreds of trees with rewrites and printouts yeah. and yeah, I, yeah. I, I understand that not, for sure. Not easily, but you just have to keep keep on it. And yeah, I went through three editors. Mm. Finding so the right editor too, very yeah, important. Yeah, it certainly is to understand where your where your language is, where your intention is as well. But let's talk a little right. bit about your mom, Wave Woman. So yeah. um, right. Betty is her name. And, uh, you know, she, she, again, going back to like, you know, do you think that she would have, like in the day of like today, like do you, do you believe that she was helped, she helped to like pioneer and be an ambassador to the surf community for women? Um, do you think that, you know, cause women surfing today is, is just as popular as men's. I mean, it's a, it's there and it's not right. going anywhere. It's just getting right. bigger. Do you think that she was under, right. at the, the impetus of that? I do. Yeah, I, I really do. Uh, when I say she was a pioneer, she was a pioneer at Makaha because, mm -hmm. uh, not many women had been out there. She and, and, uh, Epa Kukea were both early early Howley women surfers out there um she uh yeah she she was she was uh the role model for for, for i think um uh, the the later women surfers um she you know she grew up uh she grew up in Salt Lake City, and she was mm -hmm. the great-granddaughter of Mormon pioneers, very mm -hmm. strong people, and um, she was an, was an athlete, grew up very uh, athletically inclined, played basketball, roller skating, ice skating, track, and was voted the most valuable athlete in her senior year at high school, and then went down to Santa Monica. and. Uh, started ocean swimming and competitive ocean swimming and uh, actually uh, trained at the LA Athletic Club for the 1936 uh, Berlin Olympics. Mm. And uh, so I think the women that knew her or knew about her life, she had a pretty 
inspiring life. And what stopped her in the Olympics is she started flying, uh, took flying lessons. And after eight hours, she had her student license and she talked to Gus Briglib, who's one of the early glider pilot designers or plane designers into letting her go up in this glider at the old LA uh, flying field. And she actually cracked, cracked up uh, the, the glider from 65 feet, went spinning uh, into the ground and survived with just a really bad broken leg and that stopped her swimming. But it didn't you know, it didn't stop her um, from being an athlete, and and she uh, was a, one of the second in the second class at USC to graduate as a dental hygienist. Hmm. But she just broke glass ceilings. Uh, you know, finding she had a drive to create, and she was a sculptor and a jeweler and a house builder and a fisherwoman besides being a, a surfer and a potter and then when macular degeneration set in in the end she, and she couldn't do any of those other things she started writing haiku poetry about mm. her life and her reflections and she just had an amazing uh, attitude and wouldn't let anything her and she lived to be 98 and a half she wanted to live to be a hundred or at least into her hundredth year which would she she'd made it six more months but um, when one door closed she opened another one and I think that inspired anybody that knew her story although a lot of people didn't know her story because she lived out of Makaha and uh, for over 50 years uh, Rel's son did come to say goodbye, and I have a little, um, I've written their conversation up in the book, and uh, Rel was seven years old when Mother was surfing out, and, you know, we didn't have leashes, so when you lost your board, it was a long swim in sometimes, and when Mother would get into shore, Rel would have her, her board playing around in the shore break or catching the little inner break and um, so they became lifelong friends and um, I think Rel was very inspired by her or at least when she some of the last conversations indicated that very cool and it's but, a, I mean she has a, a, a storied life I mean there's no doubt that you know this book is entertaining and it's uplifting and inspiring. What were some of the more precious or memorable moments that you have spending time with her um, in and around like this, you know, her, her story and her legacy as a wave woman? Well, our trip to, uh, you know, she was on the first Hawaiian uh, she took second in the backing up. She took second in the 1956 Makaha International Surfing Contest when that was the contest. You know, there weren't any other contests here. So she, Ethical Kea won and she took second. And in the surfing, she won the paddling. And she uh, was on the first Hawaiian surfing team to go to Lima, invited to Lima, Peru with a uh, rabbit and Conrad. And so she won down there. She beat Ethel and she spent, they spent a month down there as Hawaiian ambassadors surfing and telling all the, the, at the club Waikiki. And so she came back as really, I think a different person because she saw their life and they absolutely loved her and she got along so well down there and made lifelong friends and so she came back and she told me she said you know if you can win the 1957 Makaha International I think we can get invited back to Lima so she'd always dangle little carrots in front of me like I had to get a bicycle I had to swim across the pool it's 
stuff like that. So I said, okay. So I won the 1957, and sure enough, that um, brought us an invitation to come down and surf and spend um, six weeks. Uh, make The women didn't really surf in Lima, and the, the men at the Club Waikiki wanted the women to surf, but they felt it was masculine and they couldn't do it. So our job was to be at the club every day, surf and make it look fun and easy and feminine and, you know, things like that. So, so mm. that was a really uh, a memorable time because they treated us like queens down there. And it was real. I was, 18 and by then she was probably 42 no she'd be about 43 so we that was a, a just a wonderful trip and a wonderful experience that, that was one uh and then just surfing at makaha uh for the years that we did uh they my parents bought a lot but there was nothing on the lot but an old refrigerator house. So we used to go out there and uh, just camp out on the lot or we slept on the beach and we just surfed all day. And at night we made these big fires. The mother was a really great um, barbecuer and cook around a fire. And we had, you know, just fun with the other people that were out there. Peter Cole, Fred Van Dyke, Fuzzy Trent was surfing. He wasn't, uh, he didn't come over and join us with fires, but we just, there was a lot of camaraderie out there. And so that was uh, just a memorable life. And during high school, my surfing buddies from school, the, the, they were boys and maybe one girl, Keha, I write about it. They just, love mother and said oh we wish our mother were like you and she was just like she was an authoritative figure but she was like one of the gang and and it was just it was a wonderful uh growing up having that well, i can imagine i'm visualizing it right now it sounds so fun and so adventurous and it, free as well yeah um right the 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 waves in hawaii are unlike any waves anywhere around the world i mean they're 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 iconic i remember the first time i surfed a wave in hawaii they are so deep they're so thick like i saw this I wave know. like coming towards me and it was maybe two to three feet and two to three feet in in a hawaiian wave they measured from the back to the top not from the bottom from the you know from the bottom to the to the crest of uh -huh. it where they do on the east coast or you know or they used to at least but um i remember seeing this thing come in and i was like oh my god i'm gonna get crushed and it just like rolled in but then there was another one there he came in and i had a duck dive into it which listening and you're not a surfer duck diving is when you kind of you you dive into the middle or bottom of the wave so that you can come out the back end of it um, and when right. I did that, the power that was inside that wave was unlike anything I had ever felt. It was so unique. Right. I, I never forget it. And, um, you know, it's just, there's something about surfing in Hawaii that just, it brings a smile to my face. Like, even if you're out there and you don't catch a wave, like here in California, like especially in Southern California, it can get so competitive and people are you know, re really, like you said earlier, competing for waves because there's so many surfers on the waves now. And, you know, but why there's just an elegance and a peace and an ease to it sometimes that just makes it more pleasant. What was surfing like then compared to surfing like now? Like it seems now, you know, the competitions of, you know, women surfers, um, you know, they're doing the same tricks and, you know, freestyle surfing like the men unless you're a longboarder. What was it like then? Right. Well, we were log boarders. You know, we had these 10-foot boards. I think at one point I might have had a 9.9 .9 or something. But, yeah, it was a totally different way to to ride the wave than, than when I watch, say, Carissa Moore now. It's like, oh, my gosh, just diff totally different. And the women that are riding the huge toe-in waves, that's, that's mm. a whole new sport. But 
we um, there it just wasn't crowded and it was friendly and uh, they'd say, well, this, this is your wave, you know, you take it and um, yeah, just just very very different and mm. I just went out to Buffalo's big board contest oh a month ago and. Yeah, it's just so different. It's just like night and day. That's that's all I could say. But when I talk to uh, the friends that are left, that we when we surf together, we all just say we we had the best. You know, we were so lucky to have been able to enjoy the sport at the level that we enjoyed it at. Uh, you know, that's all I can say, that it was amazing, mm. friendly, well, fun. Yeah. And you get to travel some really cool places and see amazing things. I mean, there is a, you know, as as much as there is a competition level, you know, and people can sometimes get uh, territorial or aggro out there. Uh, there is a, a community, you know, that is really unique, unlike any others, you know, between uh right. people that are surfing can you describe how right. you know that was for you guys then and how it may have evolved to how it is now well for us we just you know Makaha was our our surf community and i don't think it was as communal as it is as it is now um i I just went to a friends of Kiwalo, you know, down at Kiwalo's down here in Waikiki by Ala Moana. And they, I heard them talk about their, how you have to tread in lightly and, you know, work your way in and not take mm. anybody else's wave and kowtow to whoever's the kingpin mm. out there. And I just went, oh my gosh, we, we didn't have any of that. It was just like, but maybe it was my personality too. I just figured, mm, this is my place too. Yeah. And, but I don't think there, I don't think there was this, that feeling, that communal feeling really. I don't think it existed. Mm -hmm. I, I have yeah. to ask some of the, it's probably some of the true. guys I mean, that I'm in yes. touch with to see if they have any memory of it. But yeah. I, I would imagine maybe that's some of the boy that. maybe some of the boys did say, you know, I don't know. We we were afraid to come out there some to Makaha, but we just figured we belonged there as much as anybody else did and never gave a the communal part of it a second thought. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh so that's a whole new development, I think. I'd have to check with a couple friends about that. Well, there's a, a great documentary on Netflix, was it? No, on HBO uh, that I just watched called Momentum Generation. Uh, have you seen that? No. It's so it's no. with Kelly Slater and a lot of his uh, a lot of his surf crew that you know he kind of grew up competing with uh as friends as well i mean they were all best buds there was about five of them um that they just were you know all compadres and they grew up in the surf community they kind of grew into the surf community together and you know they you know were the the best at that time and it just talks about some of the challenges they had you know showing up at the some of the local surf spots in Hawaii and North Shore and some of the fights they got into. And it's a great, great documentary. It's on HBO. It's called uh, Generation oh. Momentum or Momentum Generation. Yeah. I, okay. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll dig it. But I think, um, yeah, I'll check so it out. I just tried to do it. Here the bell. Yeah, I'll wait. Momentum, <laughs> momentum generation. Okay. So all right, I'll check it yeah. out. I think I saw something about that. I'm not sure. Yeah, you'll definitely you'll but, definitely like it and appreciate it being it being from uh, Hawaii and just being from where you're at. So now, um, 
you know, your, your mom, unfortunately, Betty, was she able to ever to know that you completed this book or that you were writing this book? Um, was she no, able to understand? No. no, she was not. Okay. No, not at all. But she had written so many haikus, poems that her mm. uh, best friends encouraged her to put them into a book. So she did put them into a uh, a book and I wrote the introduction, two pages about her life. And then mm. she had some pictures and it was Xerox and she sold it uh, to friends that came to Makaha and she'd actually entered uh, an essay contest. And it, she and her uh, best friend, they'd each written an essay about each other. So they both won it in conjunction. And then we presented it at the eighth annual Women's Leadership Conference, which was held at the Sheraton in Waikiki. And um, so she sold some of her books there. There were, you know, a couple thousand women or a thousand women in the audience. And um, so she sold some of them there and to friends. A lot, a lot of people would come to visit her at Makaha. So I just, after she passed, I just started thinking about that book and her life. And I thought, it, it, there's got to be something better than this. Mm -hmm. And so that was a lot of my um, original thoughts of, of writing, writing the story. And then the more I got into it, the more I realized, you know, that I really did have a wonderful story, mm. inspirational, very inspirational. Totally. I absolutely, yeah. I totally agree. And, you know, that's um, kind of almost leading into where my next question goes. It's about, you know, your, your mindset, right? So uh, I am healthy and fit is an incantation, a mantra. Uh, you have to believe it before you can achieve it. So I am healthy and fit. Right right? People want to be healthy and fit. You right. got to believe that you are before you're, you know, before you can be it. And you're always going to achieve, want to achieve more and be more. Your mom must have had an incredible mindset and a, you know, a thought process. Can you kind of give us yes. a little insight into, into some of that and how she, yes. all the world and herself. And you know, I know you kind of, you touched on it earlier, but maybe be a little more specific for those that are listening, you know, to really understand how important it is to have, you know, a mindset that leads you in the direction that where you are today. Like I actually, on the website, I love you to have, you know, you are today where your thoughts have brought you. You will be tomorrow where your thoughts have taken you. I, I love that. It's right. Awesome. Right. Right. Well, that was, that was her, her true belief. You know, she was, uh, fearless. She, uh, uh, was, was physically strong which of course leads to you know mental strength and she believed in herself and she uh saw the best in in everybody too she wanted everybody that she came in to contact with to be the best that they could be and uh, she was a strong believer in what you know we believe what we create and she uh, just felt that it was never too late to, to follow a dream. She, she was never afraid to work hard for what she wanted and loved challenges. She, she saw all of life as an adventure, you know, mm. and, um, and till her last day, she was very uh, much um, at peace with her her life and her her thoughts she was very stoic uh not she, she had emotions but she was not emotional she would always you know sit back and think it out and um work things out and uh and was uh, had healthy lived a, a healthy life uh mm -hmm. inspired by nature and 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 it and the small things in life you know she was not a materialist i mean she wanted because her family had lost their house and their furniture when she was 
about 16. Um, she was in her last uh, semester of high school and they came and took all the, her father had bet on the stock market on the bet on the short. And so when the depression was nearing, he, uh, they had called, called in the money and he didn't have, he didn't have the money. And so that he lost everything. And, uh, that was, uh, made her very careful and for her whole life. And, uh, uh, and as far as, uh, she she because of her dental hygiene practice she had uh, classes in nutrition early classes in nutrition so she knew about healthy eating you know in 1931 when a lot of doctors didn't didn't know about eating and she really uh stuck to a healthy diet um Oh, for for us growing up, God, I had to go to the neighbors to get a donut. <laughs> <laughs> where do you think that? Where do you think that came from? I love I love that Her, that you bring this yeah, up. Well, she had a new nutri- a nutrition class, and uh, in fact, this is really really funny. She had uh, learned one of the things she had learned, which was really funny, was like the value of eating raw liver. So. My sister was four years younger, so she would give my sister a half a cup of raw liver every day, much to anybody that even witnessed that. But she just thought, believed that, had learned that was healthy. You know, when people thought you needed eight ounces of meat, red meat a day. But other than that, she really did have healthy uh, you know, uh, a healthy diet, and she made sure mm-hmm. we had a healthy diet, and she never wasted any food from the Depression days because she had gone through a period where she didn't have enough to eat during when she was training for the Olympics and uh, supporting her two sisters that hadn't gone to college. Mm-hmm. And she believed that women needed a always needed a profession or a career. She had a very strong belief in that when women were not so much into that. They felt they could just depend on a man. You know, oh no, I'm gonna have my own career and my my uh, so I can be independent if I need mm-hmm. to. But definitely a healthy diet. And Great. I think that's why she lived so long and a healthy healthy attitude and she was a lifelong learner so uh and she'd get on course and she no, she was so strong that uh nothing could deter her she wouldn't let anything deter her so that she was a great role role model and she loved people and people loved her and <laughs> it's uh, she led led an amazing life, and I, my husband, uh, knew her for about ten years or fifteen years, and he said, you know, she would, she'd be blown away. So, uh, it's wonderful that you were able to step outside of glad. even your yeah. It's it's amazing that you were able to even, out. yeah <laughs> step outside of your comfort Definitely. zone. I mean. You're the, you know, she was the wave woman. You're the, you know, the writer, the author that helped to, you know, bring her story to life and leave a legacy. And you're leaving a legacy for yourself. I admire you, what you've done. So many people, you know, would want to, or maybe even think about it, but you didn't follow through with it. And you're, you're doing extraordinary things, bringing her life to, bringing her life back and using it to inspire and motivate others to live their best life. Right. That was something that really caught my attention when, you know, I first saw this. Um, I want to ask you, uh, you know, just a couple questions. Um, When your mom was mad, she seemed like a very positive, you know, influence on you and and in life. When she would mad, was mad, what were some of the things that she did that you knew that you were in trouble or, you know, that she wasn't happy with you? Was there something in one, one moment in particular that, you know, stands out? You in know, I don't, I don't ever remember her getting mad. I don't think she ever got mad. No, she didn't get mad. Um, 
she, if I asked her something, she she would might say something, but no, she never got mad. Interesting. I don't ever remember her getting mad. And um, my daughter was lucky enough to spend about three and a half or four years with her and was influenced strongly. And um, and I think one thing came up where my daughter was uh, going to leave Hawaii and uh, join a man in North Carolina and she was getting cold feet and and uh, Rennie is my daughter and Rennie called my mother Tutu, that's grandmother in Hawaiian and she said, but Tutu, what if I'm making a mistake? What if, you know, leaving here, she, she actually lived with us at Makaha and was a teacher out in why and I said, but what if I'm making a mistake to do leaving and I don't know what's going to happen and what if it doesn't work out? And she said, you know, Rennie, that is the fun of life is mm. if you make a mistake, getting yourself out of it. Don't you know that? You have to know that, that you will make mistakes, but that's the fun of life, getting yourself out of them. We, we've all talked about that, you know, and that was her, that was her motto is, yeah, you are going to make some mistakes, but, you know, get yourself out of it. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. That's the adventure. I love that. That, that right there is a, is a wonderful place to end on. You know, we're approaching, it was an hour in the conversation and I feel like we can go on so much more. But I love that advice, um, you know, and it's so true. You, people, people marvel and they celebrate people, you know, at their highest moments of success, right? When the Olympian right. wins the gold or the silver. But we don't right. celebrate the work, you know, and the failures and the, the practice and the hours upon hours and the repetitions and the falling off the surfboard and getting conked in the head and the, you know, the the refresh, whatever it looks like. And, yeah. So it's now yeah, like and, we're, we, we, we need to, we need to realize and look at where we're at right now. You know, this, this, this pandemic in the world, um, you know, this coronavirus has really sidelined people and put people, you know, right. in, it displaced people in such a way that never uh, was imaginable uh, on such a global scale. And, this is a challenge and you need right. to step up and rise above and look at, you know, the possibilities that could be lying right in front of you. There are new ways of, of being new ways of earning new ways of supporting your families and being the best version of yourself and for those others around you. So I love that, you know, life lesson that your, your mom shared there and, and you had just shared and with not us. And not to look at what you don't have and what you can't do. Look at what you can do. You know, there's still a lot that that we can do, and uh, and we need to not get hysterical and just look at what. Take the time to reflect. Think about what's important. Connect with friends. And think about what we can do during this time of challenge. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Great advice. Uh, this has been a wonderful and uplifting conversation, Vicki. Um, I'm grateful that you, you, you took that, the challenge, uh, and you stepped outside of your comfort zone to write this book about your mom, Betty Heldrick. Um, the Wave Woman, The Life and the Struggles of a Surfing Pioneer. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Everybody check it out. Uh, there's a picture of her on the cover surfing, uh, and she totally has a stoked look on her face, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, and so I thank yeah. you for you being you and, you know, inspiring us and educating us in your mom's life and her journey and the legacy that she's left behind. Yes, thank you, Steve. Thank you for letting me share that. She would be very, very thrilled to, um, and you're actually back in her old stomping ground. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, when I'm back there, I'm going to come visit. Yeah. 
and uh, you and yeah. I, your husband, will will yeah. definitely share uh, some stoke together. Hopefully, I can go surfing to one of your one of your spots with you and where your mom used yeah. to surf. That would be fun. Yes, I'll take you. I'll take you. All right. That'd be wonderful. Well, it's been, thank you so much. It's, and uh, it's been everybody, great. Yeah, everybody listening yes. again. Thank you, buy everybody. the book Wave Woman uh, on Amazon, and uh, you will you will find the inspiration and in, in, you know a lighthearted you know book and read to fulfill your days, especially now in times when you have more time. Uh, there's no better opportunity than to pick this up. So thanks for listening. And to go to the yeah, go to the web, go to the website wavewomanbook.com. Yes, wavewomanbook.com. Book.com. Yeah. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Stay healthy and fit. All right. Bye. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And one more thing before you take off. Would you like to receive a short email from me one time a week on Fridays? Five to Thrive Fridays is a way for me to keep you expanding your health and fitness with five of the coolest things that I find interesting or ideas that I've been thinking about. Health and fitness books, trends, foods, recipes, supplements, anything to keep you feeling healthy and fit over the weekend and beyond. Visit stevejordan.com and click on the hashtag IamHealthyAndFit to leave your email address. And one more important note, if you found this podcast motivating, inspiring, or educational, please share with your family, your friends, coworkers, or anyone that you know who needs to improve their health or fitness. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media platform. Taking the initiative to share not only helps the people you share it with, but it will help you because the law of giving together. You see, when you give with generosity and without expectation, you will receive more for doing so. And this holds true when you want to be healthy and fit, my friends. This is another exercise that I prescribe to all of my clients. And those that have taken it on have undoubtedly seen the most results. So please, take a few more minutes of your time and do it now. Thank you again for listening. I am healthy and fit.